Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and the hits just keep on coming in the Epic versus Everyone Fortnite Antitrust Lawsuit Parade. As late today, here on Friday, August 21st, Apple has deigned to treat us with their first legal documentation in this entire case. If you have been following this series on this channel, you may have thought that Apple would have said something legal throughout all of this. But no, for the last few days, this has all been the epic show every day, all the time. If you aren't familiar with the case at all, well, I'm sorry. But it eventually leads to hats that say free Fortnite with a rainbow colored llama on them. For a little bit more color, Epic wound up putting in the App Store a series of abilities for their customers on Fortnite to purchase V-Bucks, the premium currency in that game, directly from Epic and to not pay the cut of money that was to be paid to the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. As you might suspect, that's how Apple and Google make their money through those markets. And so when Fortnite and Epic decided to do that, they were immediately kicked off their respective stores, which caused Epic to file federal lawsuits alleging antitrust violations on the part of both Apple and Google. In addition to that, they also filed a temporary restraining order against Apple. And that temporary restraining order was covered in a video in which we described what Epic was asking for as asking Apple to do things that they wouldn't otherwise like to do, asking the court to force Apple to work with them. Now, a number of people in the comments to my videos and on my social media objected to that characterization, but it is in fact what they were asking the court to do. If you look at their proposed temporary restraining order, what they wind up saying is court, please order that Apple is not allowed to do the following. Removing, delisting, refusing to list, or otherwise making unavailable the app Fortnite, including any update thereof from the App Store on the basis that Fortnite offers in-app payment processing through means other than Apple's in-app purchase or on any pretextual basis, which is a very broad swath that says you can't remove Fortnite for any reason if it's pretextual. Of course, if you're outside the text and you're operating under breach of contract already, it's unclear what pretextual would even mean in that context. You are also prohibited, Apple, from removing, disabling, or modifying Fortnite or any code script, feature setting, version, or update thereof from any iOS user's device. We know you, Apple. You've got engineers. You aren't allowed to take away our direct payment option. Finally, Apple, we want you to be prohibited from taking any adverse action against Epic at all including but not limited to restricting, suspending, or terminating any Epic entity from Apple's developer program on the basis that Epic enabled in-app payment processing in Fortnite through means other than IAP or on the basis of the steps Epic took to do so, which, as we discussed in that video and in the series in general, was through a series of hot fixes and adjustments to the application that they were pretty surreptitious about, that they hid from Apple, And that's one of Apple's primary complaints. But at the end of the day, Epic is in fact asking Apple to allow Epic to breach their contract with Apple because Epic is claiming that it's an antitrust violation and an illegal restraint of trade and all that good stuff. And to nonetheless allow Epic to proceed with their plans to essentially cut out Apple from the entirety of the process. Now, as of that point in time, that was the most immediate document. They were asking for a temporary restraining order preventing Apple from doing, in some ways, what they had already done, but what they've also promised to do in the immediate future, which is to cut Epic off 
from their developer program. And in order to make that claim, they basically had to make three different sets of claims. These are familiar to any lawyer, but they are what is required to tell the court that the court should issue you this restraining order, or you might see the words preliminary injunction, permanent injunction, those kinds of things. And they had to show that they would be irreparably harmed if the court didn't do it, that Apple kicking Epic off the store, not allowing Fortnite on the iOS, all these things were causing irreparable harm to Epic. And the major problem with that is that when you have two corporations fighting, the court and the legal system is not terribly inclined to see dollar value loss as irreparable. So Epic also had to try to make the claim that because Apple was kicking off Fortnite, it was making Epic look bad and Epic would lose the goodwill from the customers on the iOS because they would blame Epic for Fortnite not being there, which of course is a problem because Fortnite isn't there because Epic breached its contract. It just keeps circling around, but Epic has to make the claim that if they don't get the restraining order from the court, they will be irreparably harmed. They also have to make the claim that they're going to win on their antitrust lawsuit, which if you've been in virtual legality, if you've watched any of that series, you know, we think is a pretty weak case. And we will certainly see as Apple responds to this request for a temporary restraining order that they are representing that they feel it's a weak case as well. And then they also had to establish that the loss of Fortnite and what Apple was threatening Epic with in terms of loss of access to their developer licensing program was going to harm the public interest. This was another point where I said, well, that's a tricky one to claim because Fortnite's available everywhere else on earth. And also access to Fortnite, even if friends and family do like playing it together, isn't generally what the law considers to be something worthy of using the court's considerable power to mandate. And so those are the three buckets that Epic had to argue. And those are the three buckets that we will see Apple come up against. So let's take a look at what we've got here. Oh, first we have to show the terrible tart or the tart tycoon, which a number of folks have told me from my earlier video in respect of Fortnite's new marketing campaign regarding this federal lawsuit is not supposed to be, uh, is supposed to be Tim Cook, the current CEO pictured on your thumbnail and is not supposed to be prior Apple CEO. So apologies there. It's not Steve Jobs. It's a different Apple-based tycoon. My sincere apologies to anybody that I've offended with my prior statements to the contrary. Now we get into the good stuff. And this is one of those things where if you love the law, if you love reading legal documents, this is actually a pretty short one. I know you see it say page one of 34, but they've got a lot of indexed cases here. So this is actually a fairly short response. A number of people asked me about Epic's initial documentation and why I was saying certain things I was saying about it with respect to the rhetorical language used in that document. One of the things you will see here, and we're not going to read it all because we're not in the business here of just sifting through every word of one of these, we don't think that's the most effective way of getting the information out there, is that the rhetoric here is dialed back. This is a much more traditional type of document. It's a little bit more staid. You will still see some snarky comments, particularly in the footnotes uh, that we will cover to some extent, but we will, as always, put a link to this document in the description of the video so that you can check it out yourself. And before we get started, one thing I want to note here is that Apple is represented in this particular case. They have hired in this particular case, the law firm of Gibson and Dunn, which is not anything except that a number of people had said that Epic hiring Cravath, which is a large law firm out of New York, was a signifier that they would succeed, would win. And I always cautioned people from looking at law firms that way. Yeah, Cravath is a great law firm. Gibson Dunn, also a great law firm. Really the two coasts here, Gibson Dunn in Los Angeles and Cravath really operating out of New York for their antitrust practice. 
And when you have a novel question that isn't on its face crazy, and I'm not saying that Epic's question here is on its face crazy. This isn't just Epic saying completely random things and tying strings together on a wall somewhere in order to seek legal redress. I think they're wrong. I think they will lose the case, but it's not completely crazy. And so Cravath representing them, not a big surprise, really big firm, really smart people, very competent. Gibson Dunn on the other side should also tell you this is a clash of the titans. This is not a battle where one side can't find a law firm to represent them. And yes, I think Apple has the better case of it. And I think you will see some of the cases that they make here in this document. But basically, when you look at law firms and you see tweets and you see articles written about, well, Epic has Cravath and that kind of thing, don't take them as sacrosanct. Big law firms are representing winners and losers all the time. This is not a law and order scenario. This isn't the good wife where any law firm can only represent winners. And if they ever represented a loser, it would be terrible for their reputation. Everybody in law knows that you win and you lose and you do the best that you can to represent, especially novel questions. Epic's representing a novel question here to the best of your ability. And also if you're a law firm like these two to build those hours. So without being said, let's dive in here. This is the response, the opposition motion to the request for temporary restraining order. As you can see, as we scroll through here, these are all the cases that Apple has referenced in this document in support of its authority. Other authorities, they also have articles and I think maybe even a YouTube video and some tweets in here. Nope, nothing from virtual legality, so don't get too excited. And then we get to the introduction for years. Epic took advantage of everything Apple's App Store has to offer. It availed itself of the tools, technology, software, marketing opportunities, and worldwide customer reach that Apple provided so that it could bring its creativity to iOS and games like Infinity Blade and Fortnite to the App Store. It enjoyed the tremendous resources that Apple pours into the App Store to constantly innovate to create new opportunities for developers and experiences for customers, as well as to review and approve every app keeping the App Store safe and secure for customers and developers alike. Over time, in part because of the opportunities Apple made available, Epic grew to a multi-billion dollar enterprise with large investors like the Chinese tech giant Tencent pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into the company. Now, having decided that it would rather enjoy the benefits of the App Store without paying for them, Epic has breached its contracts with Apple using its own customers and Apple's users as leverage. Now, there's a couple of things here, right? We talk about intros. We always read the introductions to these things the most because to be candid, they're written this way because this is what journalists read. This is what other lawyers commenting on these things and thinking about them read. And sometimes it's really what the judges and the clerks read. It's how you get their attention. And so a lot of focus is put into this introduction and you can see it in every sentence here. First, the very first phrase is Epic took advantage. You want to put a negative connotation in their minds. If you're Apple, you want to say Epic is taking advantage of this situation. We helped Epic over time, in part because of us, Epic grew. Now, I think that's overselling it a little bit. Certainly, Apple was a part of that process, as was so many other markets. But that sentence exists entirely so that they can say to the court, oh, by the way, Epic has a lot of money from Chinese tech giant Tencent, in case that matters to you, Judge. And if you're familiar with YouTube and conspiracy theories and everything else, you know that matters to a heck of a lot of people. It probably doesn't matter to this particular judge, but you don't know that and you are trying to put every foot forward in terms of rhetoric. I don't necessarily love that right there, but it is what it is. Then they continue. 
in the wake of its own voluntary actions, which is something that we've pressed upon in virtual legality here a lot, is that this was an intentional act. And that's always going to create problems for Epic because they went and did this themselves. And we will see one of Apple's strongest arguments here, in my opinion, is that you didn't need that breach to bring your case. And so all of this is a manufactured emergency and you shouldn't be able to avail yourself of the strength of the court, the threats of government redress by making an emergency of your own making through a breach of a contract that you otherwise agreed to. Epic's agreements with Apple expressly spell out that if an app developer violates the rules of the App Store or the license for development tools, both of which apply and are enforced equally to all developers, large and small, Apple will stop working with that developer. That makes sense, right? Imagine you're not Apple. You're not a $2 trillion company that has your own app store and you're setting out your own contracts. You hire Hogue Law to help put your contracts in order for your startup enterprise. Hopefully it's very successful. But one of the things you put in there is, hey, I have a right to terminate if you breach your contract because I don't owe you money if you don't do what you said you were going to do or I don't have to do what I said I was going to do if you fail to pay your invoices on time. This is standard. That's what contracts are. And Epic just refusing to even acknowledge that as part of all this is part of the reason why some folks come into the comments of these videos and say, you sound a little biased, Rick. And it's like, well, I don't mean to be biased, except that I think that Epic's case here is a real, real problem for them. And it's very hard to play devil's advocate when even the devil looks around and says, oh, I don't know about that Epic deal. Developers who work to deceive Apple, as Epic has done here, are terminated. So when Epic willfully and knowingly breached its agreements by secretly installing a hotfix into its app to bypass Apple's payment system and app review process, it knew full well what would happen. And in so doing has knowingly and purposefully created the harm to game players and developers. It now asks the court to step in and remedy. Relief in these circumstances is not available under the law. And the injunction Epic seeks would threaten for everyone the benefits that Epic developers and App Store customers have long enjoyed. As we said at the start of this, one of the problems with Epic's theory of the case is if you were to believe it, if it were to win the day, the walled garden model, the Apple, it just works model, the Sony PlayStation, you just log in and you buy things from the PlayStation Network store and you don't have other options. We review these things. That model can't exist. And one of the other arguments that is made by Apple here is that that's not right. This model needs to exist. People like it and everybody else has made a lot of money from it. A lot of customers are happy buying their phones through it. And if Epic were to get this injunction, everybody else would ask for it. And the entirety of the experience of an Apple iPhone would dissolve like that. First, they say, TROs, those are your temporary restraining orders, exist to remedy irreparable harm, not easily repairable self-inflicted wounds, particularly under the Ninth Circuits, that's the circuit that governs California, exacting standard for mandatory injunction. Here, Epic executed a carefully orchestrated, multifaceted campaign complete with parody video, merchandise, hashtag, belligerent tweets, and now a prepackaged TRO. All of the injury Epic claims to itself, game players and developers could have been avoided if Epic filed its lawsuit without breaching its agreements. All of that alleged injury for which Epic improperly seeks emergency relief could disappear tomorrow if Epic cured its breach. Apple has offered Epic the opportunity to cure, to go back to the status quo before Epic installed its hot fix that turned into its hot mess, and to be welcomed back into the App Store. All of this can happen without any intervention of the court or expenditure of judicial resources. 
and Epic would be free to pursue its primary lawsuit. That's important. But Epic does not want to remedy the harm that it contends requires immediate relief because it has a different goal in mind. It wants the court to allow it to free ride on Apple's innovation, intellectual property, and user trust. Now, there's a lot baked in here. But one of the things that is most prevalent at the start of this paragraph is something that has been asked of me a lot. And that is, does the fact that it is clear that Epic baited Apple and Google into a trap, that they had a video ready, that they had the lawsuits ready, that they had the TRO ready, does any of that negatively impact their ability to win their case? And overall, one of the things that I have said, what I've told people is at the end of the day, the long run, the final judicial determination, no. All of that doesn't have much to do with whether or not Apple is a monopolist that is illegally restraining trade under the Sherman Act. It's all a bit of a sideshow. But in the first instance, it does matter for documents like this, because what you are trying to establish if you are Apple is that Epic is a bad actor, that what they are asking for is, ironically, considering the subject matter of the case, some special consideration, right? If everything were just to continue on, that's fine. Epic is asking for something extra from the court. And that is for the court to essentially allow them to sell Fortnite in the way that they want in breach of their agreement, which they basically acknowledge throughout all their documents, and not allow Apple to disconnect from Epic at all, to still require them to provide engineering services and APIs and software development kits and everything else that Apple does. And so one of the things that they're trying to establish is even if you would be inclined to listen to their theory of the antitrust case, Judge, they're still bad actors. They're bad. They're trying to bait people. This is all a fake emergency. They did it to themselves. They did it deliberately. It was completely arbitrary and designed to cost the maximum amount of damage. And that's why all of that exists there. It doesn't win or lose them the ultimate case, but it can tip the judgment here in the early stages to somebody saying, yeah, you know, Epic did plan all this. They did have all this ready. And oh, you know, you're right. If they just rolled it back and said, okay, we will litigate this over a couple of years and find out whether you are a monopolist under US law. But until that point in time, we will abide by your terms and conditions, maybe set up a damages claim that says, hey, we think we should be afforded whatever we would have made in this other ability to get direct payments over the course of that time. Maybe you could set something out like that. They aren't willing to do that because their best leverage point even if I think it's unethical and wrong, is to take Fortnite away from people that love it and to potentially jeopardize their relationships with the third-party Unreal Engine developers because they know Apple has to take a move on this and to say, uh-oh, all those people really hate you, Apple. All those people are angry. You might want to do something about it. You might want to capitulate to our request because you are otherwise being harmed. It's one of the reasons why it's really interesting that they have to claim irreparable harm because when you look at what they are actually doing, the party that might have a better claim for potentially being irreparably harmed if they don't get an injunction on some of this stuff is Apple, right? Epic's going out there fomenting a rebellious cast of young people to say Apple is evil and the devil and all this stuff with barely a mention of what's actually going on throughout all of this. And that's one of the problems that I have in this space in virtual legality, of course, but it's one of the problems that Apple obviously has as well. Second, Epic has not and cannot show that it is likely to succeed on the merits of its novel antitrust claims. Remember, that's the second bucket. They have to tell the judge, you can give us this restraining order because we're probably going to win at the end of the day anyway. As Apple says, the App Store has exponentially increased output, reduced prices, and dramatically improved consumer choice. As the Ninth Circuit declared just last week, that's a pretty good precedent if you can pull it, novel business practices, especially in technology markets, should not be conclusively presumed to be unreasonable and therefore illegal 
without elaborate inquiry as to the precise harm they have caused or the business excuse for their use. Now, that precedent isn't directly on point for a temporary restraining order or an injunction like this one, but they are trying to set up for the judge in their mind. They say, hey, look, these are very novel questions. These are very specific claims that Epic is making about damage to be caused, about how antitrust actually works in this particular market. You shouldn't be jumping ahead on this because they have to show you that they're likely to succeed. And there's a lot of gray area, even if you're inclined to be a little bit partial to what they want to say. Epic, however, does not undertake any elaborate inquiry in its motion. For example, it fails to enlist any economist to support its contrived market definitions and tying theories. It conveniently ignores that Fortnite can be played on numerous platforms with or without support from Apple, even as Epic touts that fact in its advertising and communications to users. Just because you can't play on iOS doesn't mean there aren't other awesome places to play Fortnite. And it fails to contend with the fact that its logic would make monopolies of Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo just to name a few. The lack of factual, economic, and legal support is unsurprising because Epic's antitrust theories, like its orchestrated campaign, are a transparent veneer for its effort to co-opt for itself the benefits of the App Store without paying or complying with important requirements that are critical to protect user safety, security, and privacy. Again, a couple of things here, right? One, they note that Fortnite isn't limited to just the iOS. This is the point that they will raise again in this document where they say, hey, Fortnite only makes like 12% of its income from the iOS. That's a lot of money when you're talking about something as big as Fortnite, but Apple isn't a monopolist Fortnite provider. So Epic has to be talking about something else and they really struggle to make that case. As a number of people brought up when they were looking at my videos or otherwise reading the court case for themselves, Epic doesn't have the normal set of precedents, doesn't have the normal set of resources that they refer to. They make raw assertions, and those assertions can be right, but the court is more likely to look askance at them if you don't back them up with something. And then the last point that Apple makes here is exactly the point that I made at the very start of all this, which is that it's very difficult to differentiate Epic's point from how the walled gardens operate on the Xbox, the PlayStation, or the Switch, among others. And that's without broadening it out to include software providers. What does it do to Steam? What does it do to the Epic Game Store? With the logic of being a monopoly provider of access to distribution in your own service. It creates problems up and down the line, problems the court should be aware of. And if I were Apple, I probably would have hit this a touch harder. But those are the reasons why Apple says you can't give this to Epic. They've got a really tough case to make. And when you have a tough case, that means that you shouldn't issue that preliminary injunction. Third, the public interest and balance of hardships do not and could not weigh in favor of Epic's decision to breach its contract because it no longer wanted to play by Apple's longstanding rules. Now, a number of you are going to object to that. They're going to say Apple's longstanding rules are bupkis. Apple's longstanding rules are terrible. They lead to things like Facebook gaming, eliminating basketball games from their streaming app or Microsoft not being allowed to use xCloud on the Apple service. That's exactly right, okay? A lot of people have also said that I'm an Apple shill. I'm not. Anybody that's been in here long enough knows that. But I disagree with a lot of the terms and conditions that Apple has, but there's a right way and there is a wrong way to handle those particular issues. There are news organizations right now that are lobbying Apple to change the way they split revenues between news sources and non-news sources and various things, but they're doing that by trying to get Apple to change their position. 
by appealing to the public, by saying, hey, Apple shouldn't do this. Did you know Apple is taking all this money and you should bring some castigation down upon them? They don't sue them for antitrust, which is what Epic has done and which is why Epic is having a little bit of trouble getting the support, the coalition that it is apparently seeking to put together. We'll see if anybody winds up joining Epic, at least in the court of public opinion on this. But Ultimately, they have to make the claim for this restraining order that it's in the public interest for the court to mandate that Fortnite be put on the iOS. And one of the things that's always going to read against them is that they deliberately breached their contract. They are a sophisticated corporate party. They know what that contract said. They know what they were limited to do. We'll see email proof of that as part of this video. They know that they can't do what they did and they did it anyway because they wanted to. That's Apple's claim here. Look, you can sue us for antitrust. We can have that fight. Let's. Let's go. Let's do that. Let's have discovery. Let's talk about whether we are a monopolist. We're not, says Apple. You are, says Epic. But it doesn't mean you can just go breach the contract and try to force the court to enforce a contract that doesn't exist to allow you onto our, onto our operating system without complying with the terms that we apply to every single other developer, publisher, and party. As Apple says, injunctions do not exist to give parties the contracts they wish they had. And an injunction would set off a flood of additional requests for quote-unquote emergency relief and threaten the entire App Store ecosystem as developers see they can breach their agreements, jeopardize the security of the App Store, and circumvent payments to Apple all without consequence. The public would not benefit and Apple's users would be the ultimate victims by losing the privacy, security, and quality experience of the curated app store. Now, here's where I want to talk a little bit about security because this is something that Epic harped on. I do think it's a fairly weak case for Apple. You saw them reference it at the end of their second paragraph talking about the need to protect user safety, security, and privacy. Here it's referenced again. I think that's one thing that Apple really wants out there for their marketing. It's something that they believe internally is a good play, reads well to journalists and what they're actually claiming in these things. I actually think their better argument by far is the curated quality experience kind of concept. And this is one that they don't want to get into a fight on publicly because there is that kind of PC versus console fight where you have so many people saying a walled garden is a bad thing and that an open ecosystem is better. And I understand on the spectrum of possibilities why you think that having the option is better for you. What I'm here to say, as I've said in virtual legality, is that for a number of people, they would rather have the it just works model. That's what Apple delivers. And if Apple couldn't deliver that, that would be a reduction in choice of some material level for the folks that don't want to have an open ecosystem and by all means should have the right to that choice, even if it's not the choice you or I would want to make. As Apple then finishes off, this is pretty strong as well. Apple wants Epic on iOS. We don't want to have this fight. You make $700 million. We make $300 million. Let's go have a closing dinner together and burn our money to light our cigars with all of that. Apple wants customers to have access to the games they love from Epic and every other developer. What's more, the success of Epic and so many other developers is exactly what Apple hoped for more than 10 years ago when it opened the doors of the App Store. But Epic's success does not entitle it to have this court step in and remedy the harm it knowingly created, nor is there any legal basis for that. If Epic is looking for immediate relief for its customers, it can remove its hotfix, continue to comply with the contracts it signed and that apply to everyone else and go on to pursue its legal challenge in this court. They don't have to stop their claim. They're not even asking for damages. They can add that if they want, 
but they're not asking for him right now. Sue us by all means, but put your game back on. You don't deserve a temporary restraining order because it's entirely within your power. You just don't want to abide by the terms of service that you have otherwise agreed to. Then we get the statement of facts. I think we all know the Apple App Store at this point in time. It's worth noting a few things here. One of the ways that Apple describes what's happening is that the App Store is also a business. Apple charges a $99 a year fee for the developer program and then charges the commission on the sale of apps and in-app sales of digital goods and services. One of the other things that people have said to me is that it isn't fair for me to describe Epic as trying to force Apple to do something for free because they are getting this $99 a year. Apple will forego the $99, I'm, I'm fairly certain, on this particular front. They don't want to work with Epic, and, and you can imagine why. This is a company that deliberately breached its contract, had an escalating series of emails with the CEO of the entire endeavor, which we will see as part of this video, and then after the fact, launched into a marketing campaign that was entirely designed to harm the goodwill of your company. At that point in time, if you're Apple, even if you're otherwise amenable, I think this is to their credit that they still have these paragraphs in this particular response. You say, I'm not sure I want to work with the crazy Uncle Epic. Okay, they make a lot of money, but they could turn on you at any time. And if they do, they're likely to bring a federal lawsuit out of it. Maybe it's just not worth the headache. And that would be entirely within Apple's rights. That would be entirely within your rights if you didn't want to work with Epic and you had some new startup that Epic wanted to be a part of. That's what this is all about. Apple has never increased its commission, which is a problem, right? You might say 30% is too high, but Epic has to make the claim that Apple can only use 30% because it's a monopoly. And Apple has charged that from day one when they certainly weren't anything great when the iPhone first came out, or certainly not anything that anybody could know would be great. When the iPhone first came out, they had on day one, you know, one percent of the market. Obviously that went way, way, way up from there as people began to enjoy the product that Apple put out there, but they have never changed it. It has introduced programs and options that reduce the effective commission for developers. For example, in 2016, Apple lowered its commission from 30% to 15% on subscriptions that were new after the first year. It's responsive to the market. Apple does not earn any money through the App Store on its substantial investment in these tools, software, and technology until developers bill and collect funds from users who engage in digital transactions with consumers on the store. More than 80% of the apps in the App Store pay no commission to Apple. If an app is available for free, then Apple makes nothing. Apple's commission reflects the value of Apple's technology, tools, and software for the development, testing, and distribution of developers' apps and digital content. Said another way, you didn't buy the SDK access, the API access, the engineering support, and all that stuff for 100 bucks a year. That doesn't pay for one engineer at Apple. What does pay for it is the big hitters, the people that really make money on the App Store that pay their 30%. They effectively support the entire ecosystem because so many developers that Apple is otherwise subsidizing and helping out without making money don't make that money for Apple. It's a little bit like thinking about an investor or a venture capitalist, right? I come from venture capital and mergers and acquisitions. And one of the things people say is, why do they get such high rates of return? And the reason is, if you're a venture capitalist, you get that high rate of return because 10 out of 11 of your investments are going under. You're losing that money and the one investment has to cover the rest. So you're getting paid for the risk. Very similarly, Apple is doing this and getting paid for the risk. Most video games are not successes. Here at Hoag Law, I was an owner and involved with the creation of two apps. Two apps that I'm very proud of, Flipship and Little Labyrinths at Bite Size Games. You can check them out. You can't buy them because 
The company went under and we didn't make enough money from the sales of Flipship, even though it was an app store app of the day. We're very proud of it. It never made enough money. It made something in the low single thousands, I think. But it never made enough money to sustain itself. And that was a shame, but we understood that it couldn't sustain itself. It didn't make the income that we wanted. Apple certainly didn't make any money off of that, any great money at least. And so they pressed on. They say they only make money from about 20% of the apps that they sell and that 30% is justified because it's always what they have charged and it's what everybody else charges at the same time. Now, they do make a couple of specious kind of metaphors that I don't love, and, and they'll certainly come up in articles that you might read about this. They describe it a little bit as shoplifting. Apple's in-app purchase system, which Epic tried to bypass in violation of its contractual commitments, provides a digital checkout for in-app sales and is the means by which Apple collects its commission on eligible transactions. Without IAP, Apple would be unable, from a technical perspective, to charge app developers a commission on in-app sales. If developers can avoid the digital checkout, it is the same as if a customer leaves an Apple retail store without paying for shoplifted products. Apple does not get paid. That is a tautological statement. It's true, right? It's the same. Apple doesn't get paid. It's also designed to rhetorically put into your head that developers who try to skate by this are like shoplifters. I don't think that's really fair. I don't think the judge would necessarily be terribly convinced by it, but you can see what Apple's trying to do here. They're trying to put all these kind of bad thoughts in. They're bad actors. They had pre-prepared a TRO to file. They had pre-prepared a marketing campaign. Did you see that rainbow llama hat? Isn't that ridiculous? They're like shoplifters and you don't have to love it. I don't necessarily love litigation rhetoric like this. Somebody else asked me if this was normal for Apple to say things like hot fixes are a hot mess. And it is normal in the introduction. It is normal throughout. You can see that Apple is trying to be a little bit more genteel than Epic in their documentation, but still some of this stuff definitely comes out. You also see, I believe in footnote that they wind up comparing the rate that they charge to the fact that Epic charges for the use of the Unreal Engine on a royalty basis. And they make these kind of snide comments in the footnote as well. They describe the App Store guidelines and developer licensing agreement as allowing the App Store to be a highly curated place where every app is reviewed by experts and an editorial team helps users discover new apps every day. And that's part of their business model. These contractual standards protect Apple's customers. They ensure that the apps on the App Store are safe, secure, and reliable. And as I said, really, they are trying to sell quality. The App Store is the world's most trusted marketplace for apps precisely because of the standards and safeguards put in place. Now, you can agree or disagree with that statement, but certainly there are a number of customers in the marketplace that believe that about Apple, that believe that about Apple phones, and that should be a business model that they are allowed to pursue. To participate in those programs that get you to that quality level, you sign some stuff, Epic, Fortnite, everyone else signed some stuff, and then they decided to breach their agreements. Or one thing that I wanted to point out before we get to the actual breach is that the experience with Fortnite outside of the iOS environment illustrates the importance of Apple's approach to app review and security, right? As I just said, one of the things that is perhaps a little bit of a weaker point in their case, but they like to use it, Apple clearly likes it internally and they put it in this legal document, is that they have these rules and regulations for security purposes. And this is, I think, their strongest paragraph that actually supports that. In 2018, Fortnite announced that Android versions of the game would be available on the web, and immediately, sites appeared that not only advertised Android Fortnite, but also distributed malware in the game. As one commentator noted, 
Unsurprisingly, malware versions of Fortnite targeted unsuspecting gamers in the months following the Android launch, which is what malicious individuals would do with any popular app that's available from outside the App Store. Now, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's a commentator that's clearly in favor of Apple's side of the equation here. But to the extent that that is true and certainly would be subject to additional referencing and discovery, that is the kind of thing that is a very useful piece of argument to say, hey, look, we control and curate our store because if we don't, there are all of these problems that negatively affect the goodwill of the company and our ability to sell the product on the whole. By 2019, Apple says, Epic acknowledged security vulnerabilities in non-iOS versions of Fortnite that exposed hundreds of millions of players to being hacked. This is a tremendously strong paragraph and I think a very useful one for Apple, even if you don't generally agree that this is a risk that people should be concerned about. Apple is still permitted to think more concern is mandated than what you would have them be concerned about. And so Epic's argument starts to have a little bit more weakness. Now we get to their decision to breach and this is important stuff. On June 30th, 2020, Epic emailed Apple requesting to offer a competing Epic Game Store app through the App Store that would allow iOS device users to install apps from Epic directly rather than through the App Store and to offer payment processing options within Epic's apps other than IAP. This is extraordinarily important. At the end of June, so not the end of July, at the end of June, Epic goes and contacts Apple and says, your app store is nice, but here's what we want. We want to put an Epic Game Store button on your phone and we want to be able to use our own payment processing that doesn't pay you. Apple responded to this request by saying Apple has never allowed this. We strongly believe these rules are vital to the health of the Apple platform and carry enormous benefits for both consumers and developers. Despite that warning, August 13th, 2020, that's D-Day here in Epic versus Apple and Google land. Epic made a deliberate choice to cheat Apple. Very specific word choice there. Around 2 a.m. on August 13th, Mr. Sweeney of Epic wrote to Apple stating its intent to breach Epic's agreement. Epic will no longer adhere to Apple's payment processing restrictions. This is not what you want your client to do, by the way. Even if you're planning to breach an agreement, you don't really go out usually with a screed and 10 commandments of how you're going to do this to bring light and liberty to everyone. We're going to actually see the letter in just a second. Hours later, Epic activated a secretly planted payment mechanism in Fortnite to slide a non-approved change into the app that blatantly evaded app review. In order to deliberately conceal the change from Apple, Epic changed the option on its own servers, it was a server-side change as we discussed earlier in the series, to enable the approved version of Fortnite to offer a non-compliant in-app purchase option. Epic's breach was flagrant. Epic willfully directed customers to purchasing mechanisms other than in-app purchase and created a new storefront in contravention of the guidelines. This is egregious behavior prohibited under the agreements that can lead to removal from the Apple developer program. Epic breached the license agreement by making changes without resubmission to Apple, installing a store or storefront, enabling purchases without using the in-app purchase API, and more. Epic knew full well that in circumventing Apple's processes and breaching its contracts, it was putting its entire relationship with Apple, including its Unreal Engine and other projects at serious risk. Epic made the calculated decision to breach anyway and then run to this court to argue that its customers were being damaged. 
All of this was avoidable if Epic had brought its antitrust case without breaching its agreements. It is hard to think of a case less worthy of the extraordinary relief that Epic seeks. Now, there's a bunch of stuff to break down in this section, but I think that final paragraph is very useful and certainly echoes a lot of the things that you have been hearing in this series in virtual legality. One of the things that we have said is that Epic has gone, they've asked in their TRO, they have complained to the public about the fact that Fortnite is being cut off, that Unreal Engine support from Epic, not through the developers, and that's a kind of specific technical argument that I think people are getting a little bit confused by, was at risk, and Apple is saying that is their fault. They breached their agreement, we will happily have them back, they have to abide by the terms and conditions right now, and they can still bring their case. They can still sue us for antitrust violations. So this is all on them. They don't get their TRO. It's also important to note that this is important from the perspective of keeping Epic in the right mindset for coming to a settlement and coming to a place that you want them to if you are Apple, right? Epic wants to say we continue to get our iOS money because without it, they are expending in terms of lost opportunity so much money. They had made $700 million at least in two years. And that money will be gone until the end of this lawsuit. And this is an antitrust lawsuit. This could be years and years and years. And if they get this TRO, they can put Fortnite back on. Not only can they put Fortnite back on, they can put Fortnite back on and they can do it without paying Apple a dime. So that 700 million becomes a billion. And that's what they've asked the court to do. Not to benefit themselves, of course, but just because they want to fight for everybody everywhere. But Apple calls them out on it. Now, Tim Sweeney has some thoughts on this on Twitter. No, no, not those thoughts. That's earlier in the series. That's when Tim Sweeney said I was wrong about various things. You can check out that video. I think that's a fun one. No, he had some thoughts about this particular claim about emails. He says the following. Apple's statement is misleading. You can read my email in Apple's filing, which is publicly available. I specifically said in Epic's request to the Apple execs, we hope that Apple will also make these options equally available to all iOS developers. Now, outside of the recommendation to just don't tweet about pending litigation, and especially not pending legal filings, that's not precisely what this letter says. So this is the June 30th request, right? He says, Dear everybody at Apple, because of restrictions imposed by Apple, Epic is unable to provide consumers with certain features in our iOS apps. We would like to offer consumers the following features. One, competing payment processing options other than Apple Payments without Apple's fees in Fortnite and other Epic Games software distributed through the iOS App Store. We don't want to pay you. Two, a competing Epic Game Store app available through the iOS App Store. That's important, right? One of the things that people are also getting tripped up on is that they say, well, Epic's just asking for a consideration. They just want to put their stuff on there. They can already do that. They can already put their stuff on a jailbroken iPhone. They can already put their stuff sideloaded onto an Android. What they want is support from Apple and Google to be treated as better, to be treated as something that isn't sideloading, as they deem that to be pejorative in the Android lawsuit, to not require a jailbroken iPhone, because as they say in that same lawsuit, hey, if people have to leave and have to do something else to go get these payments or go to a browser, we might not sell it to them because these are all situational. We got to take advantage while the iron is hot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we know what you're saying, Epic. A competing Epic Game Store app available through the iOS App Store and through direct installation that has equal access to underlying operating system features for software installation and update as the iOS App Store itself has, including the ability to install and update software as seamlessly as the iOS App Store experience. You have to support us. You can't just put us off in the side. And how will they accomplish that? 
If Epic were allowed to provide these options to iOS device users, consumers would have an opportunity to pay less for digital products and developers would earn more from their sales. Epic is requesting that Apple agree in principle to permit Epic to roll out these options for the benefit of all iOS customers. Agree in principle, huh? We hope that Apple will also make these options equally available to all iOS developers in order to make software sales and distribution on the iOS platform as open and competitive as it is on personal computers. Now, that's the sentence that Tim points to is saying, hey, we also said it should be available to everybody else. But the first thing he says is that we are asking Apple to agree with us, Epic, to allow us to do these things. Now, there's a couple of things happening there. One, that is a specific ask. That is a request for special treatment. We want Apple to give us an allowance, a waiver, some kind of side agreement to allow us to violate their terms because it won't be a violation if they otherwise agree to it. And hey, also, you should think about allowing others to do that as well. Of course, others aren't necessarily going to be of the size or capability to have payment processing options. So I guess we could host them in the Epic Game Store app. I mean, just from our own benevolence, of course, we could do that. They continue, as you know, Epic was required to accept your standard non-negotiable contracts like the Apple Developer Program License Agreement in order to offer products on iOS devices through the iOS App Store. Now, regardless of how you feel about contracts of adhesion, it's not necessarily non-negotiable, especially for the company the size of Epic. We actually saw certain companies negotiate certain dispensations, like I believe Amazon did with respect to Apple. Epic is also required to comply with Apple's unilateral standards documents to obtain app approval, like Apple's App Store review guidelines. Apple's contracts and standards documents contain restrictive provisions that prohibit Epic from offering a competing app store and competing payment processing options to consumers. You don't necessarily want this paragraph in your letter requesting all of this because this paragraph says, we know we'd be breaching the agreement if we tried any of this stuff, so you need to allow it. As they say, Apple would need to provide a side letter or alter its contracts and standards documents to remove such restrictions to allow Epic to provide a competing app store and competing payment processing option to iOS customers. Tim Sweeney says this is misleading, but in two separate paragraphs, the actual ask buried in the communications of this letter is we need an agreement in principle to be treated differently and we know it would take a side letter, a separate contract that will treat us differently. Oh, by the way, can you give these rights to someone else? Because frankly, there ain't nobody as big as Epic that's willing to go about all of this. And so we're going to make mad bucks anyway. Please confirm within two weeks if Apple agrees in principle to allow Epic to do all of this. If we do not receive your confirmation, we will understand that Apple is not willing to make the changes necessary to allow us to provide Android customers with the option of choosing their app store and payment processing system. And yeah, that last sentence in this very important letter that led to a multi-million dollar federal lawsuit, llama hats and everything in between, actually accidentally says Android at the end of it instead of Apple. So that should give you at least a little bit of context as to where the mind space is here. Although I am always sympathetic to a typo, especially when you are planning to bring Hellfire down on two separately named tech companies that begin with the letter A. Tim Sweeney would then continue from there. He would say, I've got more. Hi, folks at Apple. It's a sad state of affairs that Apple's senior executives would hand Epic's sincere request off to Apple's legal team. I don't, I'm not sure exactly who should be reading this email that says, we're planning on breaching our agreement. Please give us a side letter if it's not the legal team. But he's sad that legal was brought in to respond with such a self-righteous and self-serving screed. Only lawyers could pretend that Apple is protecting consumers by denying choice in payments in stores to owners of iOS devices. Now in this... I am unfortunately paradoxically hand-tied. 
I'm going to tell you that I can claim that Apple can make these claims about curated stores, but alas, Tim Sweeney has cut me off at the pass because he says only lawyers can make that claim, and I have to admit I am guilty as charged. However, I do thank you for the prompt response and clear answer to my two specific requests. If Apple someday chooses to return to its roots building open platforms in which consumers have freedom to install software from sources of their choosing, and developers can reach consumers and do business directly without intermediation, then Epic will once again be an ardent supporter of Apple. Until then, Epic is in a state of substantial disagreement with Apple's policy and practices, and we will continue to pursue this, as we have done in the past, to address other injustices in our industry. That's your first clue. Uh-oh. In case you're only familiar with Tim Sweeney from Twitter, as I have been, he is also going to bring that self-righteous flavor all the way up to high-level corporate communications. This was mid-July, and then we get the old August 13th, 2 a.m. Pacific time email. Dear Apple folks, I am writing to tell you that Epic will no longer adhere to Apple's payment processing restrictions. Today, Epic is launching Epic Direct Payments in Fortnite on iOS, offering customers the choice of paying in-app through Epic Direct Payments or through Apple Payments and passing on the savings, not all of them, as we've pointed out, of Epic Direct Payments to customers in the form of lower prices. We choose to follow this path in the firm belief that history and law are on our side. Smartphones are essential computing devices that people use to live their lives and conduct their business. Apple's position that its manufacture of a device gives it free reign to control, restrict, and tax commerce by consumers and creative expression by developers is repugnant to the principles of a free society. Having contract terms of your choosing as an industry member is repugnant to the principles of a free society. Also, as a small reminder... Although Tim Sweeney and Epic like to bring in the prevalence of cell phones across the country and the world, they're selling Fortnite, not cell phone packages. This is about video games. Henceforth, all versions of Fortnite that Epic submits to the App Store will contain these two payment options side by side for customers to choose among. Really between, there's there's two payment choices. It's fine, Tim. We hope that Apple will reflect on its platform restrictions and begin to make historic changes that bring to the world's billion iOS customers the rights and freedoms enjoyed on the world's leading open computing platforms, including Windows and Mac OS. In support of this path, Epic's public explanation of our payment services will be neutral and factual to provide Apple with a chance to consider taking a supportive route and communicating it in a way of Apple's choosing. If Apple chooses instead to take punitive action by blocking consumer access to Fortnite or forthcoming updates. Translation, if they choose to use the termination or prohibition options that we agreed to in the contract that we entered into, then Epic will regrettably be in conflict with Apple on a multitude of fronts, creative, technical, business, and legal for so long as it takes to bring about change, if necessary, for many years. So, Tim says that this isn't the full story. But then Tim went out on Twitter, litigated the case, and established for the world to see that it basically is. Epic asked to have their store up there, asked to breach the contract terms, asked again, said that they would be doing it with self-righteous indignation. And here we are with Apple saying it is hard to think of a case less worthy of the extraordinary relief that Epic seeks. As a bit of a sidelight here in footnote number 12, you also see one of the things that came up in my previous video, which is Epic saying that hot fixes are fine, that the app didn't itself change, that it was a server-side call that did this, and so it's not in violation. Apple says the exact right thing here. That was never a winning argument. 
when they say that without accepting Epic's self-serving statements about the regularity of hotfixes is true, those arguments are a sideshow. Epic cannot seriously claim that the specific change it made did not constitute a flagrant and intentional violation of Apple's policies and contracts by directing in-app purchases to be made outside the App Store, as we just saw in the letters and everything else that Epic has said. They know it's a flagrant violation of the contract. They just don't think the contract should apply to them. Now, as Apple has said, hey, we are totally happy to have them cure this breach. Apple allowed Epic an opportunity to cure. They still have an opportunity to cure. The offer remains open. If Epic returns to compliance, Fortnite can be returned to the store immediately. And also, last but not least, hey, take note, Judge, Epic orchestrated this whole thing, as we said in our introduction. And some Epic customers have seen through the subterfuge, as Apple has said, leading us to the legal standards of all of this. We've got Epic's PR smear campaign, as Apple has declared it. We've got everything else that we have so far talked about. And then we get into the legal standards. Now, there's a couple of important things here. I do want to wrap this up fairly quickly. But what Apple has said here is that one thing that's very important is that Epic wants to say that they're requesting a temporary restraining order to return the world to the status quo. And Apple is making, in my opinion, the correct counter argument in saying that when they asked for their temporary restraining order, when they put this language in there, they aren't trying to return to the status quo. The status quo is non-breach of the agreement. And then we remove Fortnite and now the court would have us do something else. They are asking to have Fortnite restored in a manner that it was never allowed in on the store. And when you have that kind of injunction, what is called here a mandatory injunction by the lawyers in this particular case, then you have a higher burden. You have a higher standard to reach a higher argument to hit. As they say, Epic seeks a mandatory injunction by asking the court to compel Apple to take affirmative action to reinstate Fortnite to the App Store, to do so on unique terms and also require Apple to support Epic's compatibility with the App Store going forward and make available Fortnite updates. Epic's definition of the status quo underscores this point. It wants Fortnite back in the App Store, but it wants that privilege under a set of new terms and conditions that were never a product of the party's negotiations and that have never been provided to other developers. They want their own special case, despite what you see in all of the public relations documents that Epic puts out there. Then we see the more fulsome description about all of this stuff that we talked about in the introduction. Apple says Epic has not suffered irreparable harm. The harm raised by Epic here is completely avoidable. It was entirely of their own making. As Apple has said to Epic and publicly, Epic can be reinstated immediately to the App Store just by complying with the contract. And then they start pulling out cases. And there's some good ones. The Ninth Circuit said it best when it said self-inflicted wounds are not irreparable injury. Harm is not irreparable if self-inflicted. Harm caused by the plaintiff's voluntary choice did not support a showing of irreparable injury. Apple has had the policies that Epic now challenges in place for many years, since 2008, and for the entirety of Epic's relationship with Apple. Epic now cries emergency, but the only change was Epic's choice to violate the previously followed policies, knowingly triggering the contractually defined consequences. And all of the harms it claims to itself or its customers are curable by once again following the contract Epic had agreed to previously. Similarly, in precedent, if the parties have contemplated termination in their agreements, which we have talked about in this space, is certainly contemplated in the developer contracts, then irreparable injury cannot result from that termination. 
That is because any harm results from the express terms of the contract and no irreparable injury from exercise of a contract provision is something that they also cite. Epic does not contest that it made its promises. The contract language of the developer's license is crystal clear in prohibiting what Epic is trying to do. Epic acknowledges that it violates these agreements. It shows the buttons it put in the email that we just read that it is violating it. And their losses to goodwill cannot constitute irreparable injury either. There are a number of things said by Apple here, but one of the ones that they say is precedent is that you are supposed to be able to show that your business is entirely at risk. And because Fortnite is so popular, because iOS is only 12% of the sales, because Epic has all of these other lines of work, they failed to even kind of assert that the loss of goodwill that they are asserting in their TRO request could somehow jeopardize the entirety of their business. Epic claims that it would lose customer goodwill because players on Apple mobile devices whose friends and family cannot join them but Epic provides no evidentiary support that these customers will actually lose the ability to play with friends and family. Instead, Mr. Sweeney's declaration makes clear, Fortnite is available on numerous platforms, including Microsoft, Windows, Mac OS, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. It was only in April 2018 that an iOS version was even released. The allegations of loss of customer goodwill also stem from Epic's own decisions about the compatibility of new versions of Fortnite. It is Epic that decides that a player cannot play with those whose games have been updated. Absent this technological decision by Epic, all its users on iOS with older versions of Fortnite could play with players with updated games. I said this previously, and this is a little bit of a weaker argument in terms of video game playing, because this is a live services game and Fortnite wants to update. That's how their business model works. But it is undoubtedly the case that Epic could put a pause on at least some of the season progression, still sell a number of outfits, keep the iOS people in line, in the framework of the games that others are playing on the various platforms. They don't want to do that. Fortnite is a hostage here. That was the entire plan. Nor has Epic provided evidence showing that the Unreal Engine business will be significantly harmed. Epic vaguely refers to harms about Unreal, but Epic's assertions of harm are speculative, and speculative injury does not constitute irreparable injury. You have to put some proof in Epic. As people pointed out, Epic failed to do that throughout a lot of their documentation. None of the cases Epic cites on this point hold otherwise. All of the cases they cite concern consumer confusion in trademark and copyright disputes to show irreparable harm from continued intellectual property infringement. Now that's some good research. There's some associate at Gibson Dunn that went and looked up all of those precedents and said all of these don't apply to this particular case at all. And it made a paragraph in this memo. Those are bad matches to what Epic is trying to do. You then also have what will undoubtedly be the, the focal point for a number of people that are looking at this, you have Apple saying Epic isn't likely to succeed on the antitrust case in general. Epic's claim to have established a probability of success is an exercise in legal creativity. I'll admit that. Its arguments stretch existing precedent to the outer limits and present a number of novel legal issues that would create new law on a scant record. The idea that Epic is likely to succeed on the merits of its antitrust claims, much less that they are highly likely to succeed on the merits, is not credible. The App Store has exponentially increased output, including hosts of free apps, has never raised prices, enhanced innovation, and dramatically improved developer and consumer welfare. Under these circumstances, the per se rule is off the table. Per se meaning an automatic potential win under antitrust. And I agree with that. There is no automatic win for Epic here. If they have a win, it's going to be hard fought, and it's not going to be a per se violation of antitrust. Apple then gives more details. Hey, we are not a specific market. 
They give great precedent on this specific claim. And this is the one that we have talked about at length in virtual legality, that Apple can't just be a monopoly provider of access to its own stuff, that the Sherman Act has never read that way because it would obliterate every functional methodology of commerce in the United States. And so Apple points to specific precedent on that. A manufacturer's own products do not themselves comprise a relevant product market, and a company does not violate the Sherman Act by virtue of the natural monopoly it holds over its own product. Courts routinely reject the argument that a single branded product constitutes a relevant market, and for this reason, the Star Court held that a relevant market limited to the Mac OS was an improper single brand market and dismissed tying claims based on Apple requiring only the Mac OS to be used on Apple computers. The only authority Epic offers in support of its single brand iOS mobile app distribution and iOS in-app payment processing markets is an administrative decision of the European Commission, which, somewhat snidely, Apple notes, interprets only European competition law, which is underlined as saying that's not the law we're looking at here at all. An antitrust market must include services reasonably interchangeable by developers for the same purposes, et cetera, et cetera. And they say the market is incorrectly defined. Uh, or as they further go on to say, Fortnite's available on a lot of other stuff, so we don't have this monopoly power that you would otherwise ascribe to us. They also talk about IAP. And to be candid, I think IAP and this specific market is what Epic is aimed at if they were to win it all. They want to be able to say that, sure, you should get some 30% powers over the distribution of the app initially, but that should be distinct from the function of the IAP within app purchases. And I don't think Apple's case here is tremendous. They first start out trying to say that it's a transactional platform and that IAP shouldn't be distinguished between the distribution component of actually moving out the code or the license or the access to the in-app purchase itself and the transaction of the money, that it's all one transaction. I think that's true. I don't think that's actually helpful to what Epic is claiming with respect to the tying. But I also think that they have some better cases that are a little bit more amorphous. They say IAP also fails the Ninth Circuit's purchaser demand test for finding distinct products, i.e. whether sufficient demand exists for the tied product separate from the tying product. Epic does not allege that there exists demand for IAP separate from the App Store. In fact, Apple does not charge developers any money for the use of IAP itself, right? This is the fight that underlies this whole thing. Epic wants to frame IAP as just purchasing functionality, that they are just payment processors at Apple. Apple says no. IAP money is for software and engineering and curation of the store and the marketing of the of the phone and all the fun conferences that we have and getting the market big enough so that it makes sense for you to compete within it and all these good things. And they say, no, you're just payment processors. I think Apple has the better part of it, but reasonable minds can differ. While Epic points to the availability of third-party payment methods for the sale of physical goods, as evidence that the App Store and IAP do not always have to be provided together, there are material differences between the two types of transactions, and they use precedent to say, hey, when there are differences, you can't bring that up. You can't make that dispositive for the claim that you want to make. Then Apple says, hey, we're not engaged in any competitive conduct. We are charging the same thing we have always charged. Removing Epic from the App Store and absent a cure of its breach, the developer program due to the breach of its agreements with Apple is legal conduct. Businesses are free to choose the parties with whom they will deal, as well as the prices, terms, and conditions of that dealing. If the App Store were a brick-and-mortar store, it would be obvious that Apple could choose which products to distribute, which customers to sell to, and on what terms. That's the circus tent we were talking about 
in the video about the TRO. If Apple just had a circus company, it would be much obvious, much more obvious to people that selling tickets to that circus gives you access to the circus. And if you are a vendor that Apple allows to sell popcorn within that circus tent, if you start to violate their rules about what you agreed to with respect to revenue split, then Apple can kick you out of the circus tent. And yeah, you can go find a different circus tent. You can build your own circus, go nuts. But Apple doesn't have to give you access to sell your popcorn in its circus tent just because a billion people like its circus. Epic's claim also depends on holding that Apple's App Store requirements, which ensure all this other stuff, are a tie, monopoly maintenance, and a violation of the rule of reason. Product and technology choices, such as how Apple structures the App Store and its guidelines, do not constitute anti-competitive conduct, and then they cite a number of cases. Any firm, even a monopolist, may generally bring its product to market whenever and however it chooses. That's been the, my primary point here in virtual legality. Apple has the right to sell its app store and its iPhone on terms that you find unreasonable. Apple has the right to sell things for high prices that you are unwilling to pay. Apple has the right to make its app store available only on a cut that you don't want to pay if you're Epic. That doesn't make them a monopoly Sherman Antitrust Act violator. All it means is that you don't want to engage in business with them, except that you did, and now you all of a sudden don't. Apple then dispenses with the entire essential facility argument very quickly, essential facility not being something recognized by the courts and the Ninth Circuit, all this good stuff. They say that their IAP concept is supported by a legitimate business purpose, and then they go into the balance of the equities, right? This is, who's the winner here? Who is it fair to, to give this TRO? Epic says it's fair to us. Apple makes some good points in counter. They say, hey, whenever you've got a breach, the court is always going to look at that askance. The balance of the equities points to the party that didn't do the deliberate breach. At the outset, equity does not favor Epic because it has unclean hands. It's a phrase familiar to those of you that are lawyers that are listening to this. It's a term of art, but it means you're a bad actor. Epic has undeniably breached its agreement with Apple, and a party breaching a contract has no standing to seek equitable relief. Not no standing, really. I mean, they're, they're alleging that the contract itself is evil and void for public policy and all these things, but... Apple's trying to put their rhetoric out there as strongly as possible, and they use precedent to do so in a, in a fashion that Epic really didn't. Epic also does not seek a return to the status quo. Epic tried to claim they're bringing the status quo back. Apple has said, no, they're not. I think we've established that Apple has the right of it here. Epic is asking for that special treatment and not a return to what would be the status quo as happened before this dispute. While in public, Epic is candid about its desire to harm Apple, in legal filings, Epic claims that the harm to Apple is minimal because Apple will only lose some commissions and suggest that Apple could recover damages to replace those losses. The same can, of course, be said for Epic. Epic can return to the App Store and only pay some commissions. Further, Apple continues, if Epic's scheme succeeds, 1.7 million other developers will be eligible to make the same argument, and the user experience in the App Store will evaporate. To me, that is the best argument on this particular point. Apple has a right to make this user experience that you or I or your neighbor might not like, but they have a right to put it out there. Obviously, a lot of people do like it. And if the court were to grant this TRO to Epic, everybody else would be able to ask for it. Certainly, if Epic wins the case at the end of the day, and the entire model of the iPhone, which you or I might not like, would cease to exist. Finally, on the last point, they say an injunction would actually harm the public interest. Epic actually has to claim that it helps the public interest. Apple goes so far as to say it harms it. First, the public interest disfavors contract breaches. Public policy is not to favor the party that deliberately breaches a contract. There's a vested interest in commerce and the court system and the law, 
that people abide by their contractual commitments. Second, the public interest disfavors enjoining app store rules that created the most trusted marketplace for apps. Or as Apple is saying, hey, look, we put into place this business model. It has resulted in 1 billion people that love it. Epic put that in their statement, their TRO and their lawsuit deliberately. We won't have that billion. We won't have those people that are satisfied with this product. We won't be able to sell it. And they won't have the phone that they want to have on the business model that they want to have it under if you give this to Epic. Third, and my favorite, you're going to specifically like this if you're in virtual legality. Selling a video game is not the type of public interest that warrants emergency injunctive relief. Or as they say in the precedent, there is minimal public interest in seeing a video game released. Moreover, Epic's games remain available on other popular gaming platforms. This is entirely accurate, right? Epic came out here with their emails, with the Tim Sweeney tweets, with their lawsuits and their marketing campaigns and their TRO requests, as if they were selling the cure for cancer. As if somebody came in and said, you pharmaceutical company can't sell this cure for the coronavirus that would cure the entire pandemic and save the earth. You can't do it. And Epic just says, but we want to sell that cure and it's in the public interest. And instead, when you break it down, they're talking about selling a cartoon game in which Agent Bananas shoot other Agent Bananas, all while listening to music and having fun with cartoon Nerf guns while Thor flies around. And yeah, that might be fun. I've enjoyed Fortnite in the past. I don't know if I'll play it anytime soon based on all this, but it is not the kind of public interest that the law is most interested in to actually have the court order something, to have the government enforce it, to say, Apple, we looked at this and it's just really, really important that Fortnite be available on your phones. That's not the kind of thing that an injunction usually relates to. Finally, they say Apple's business interest in enforcing its contracts has security and safety repercussions and jeopardizes Apple's own reputation for providing access only to apps that meet its standards. We have the right to have what amounts to the Nintendo seal of quality on our stuff. And I can already hear a number of you laughing because you already know about the shovelware and the app store and that Apple maybe doesn't do such a great job at this. But Apple wants to believe that they can. And Apple believes that they are certainly selling their product on the premise that they can. And if that premise is obliterated, then they can't sell on it at all. Epic has revealed that it is willing to and can circumvent Apple's procedures by smuggling a hidden feature into its last update, depriving Apple of the ability to terminate its business relationship with those who circumvent its review process is not in the public interest. It's a great line, right? Say nothing else. Epic played a little hide the baseball here. They specifically put a change in their app that they didn't reveal as part of the review process. They then had a server-side change trigger something. After a period of a month and a half with fighting, they knew that Apple wouldn't allow if they had given the actual notification of what was to be done in Fortnite. They did it all surreptitiously in a manner that does undermine Apple's process. And you don't have to agree that Apple's process is a good one to believe that Apple has the right to determine what that process is. And it's not in the public interest to tell a company that they don't have the right to set their own ground rules for their product, the review process, whatever it might be. Because we're talking about Apple and Epic right now. But remember, when we're talking about law, we're setting precedent across the board. And if it's good enough for Epic to do something like this, it's good enough for that contractor that's working with you, young startup who has Hogue Law as an attorney. And we don't want that precedent out there. This kind of breach should not be backed up by the law. 
Apple has a very good point there. Doesn't mean that they will win this. I think they will, but it doesn't mean that they will win this. Epic could still get the temporary restraining order, but I do think it means that they have presented a very, very strong case. Finally, they finish off by saying, a business relationship gone sour, even where plaintiffs risk losing money or risk loss of partnership rights in the short term without more does not constitute an emergency that justifies this court setting aside the court's hundreds of other important earlier filed matters to immediately address this matter. For the reasons set forth above, we request the motion for the temporary restraining order be denied. So this all came out today. We will likely see Epic respond to it further. We'll definitely see some more Tim Sweeney tweets over the weekend, but please do leave in the comments to this video your own thoughts as to what worked about Apple's arguments, what you didn't like about Apple's arguments, what you think they missed about maybe what Epic presented and what Epic's got right about all this. Obviously, a lot of you come into the comments here and say, Rick, it's clear that you think that Epic has a weak case and you're on Apple's side. That's my legal analysis. This isn't a side-taking thing between the two companies. I think Apple and Google do all sorts of bad things with their terms and conditions. I like a lot of what Epic has brought to the competitive landscape on the PC level between Epic Game Store and Steam. I like them acting as disruptor. I like that they are using their Fortnite money to do things in the industry and not just sitting on it and, and laughing all the way. But I don't like them bringing cases like this one that don't really seem moored in actual legal analysis, legal terminology, and are only designed, despite the rhetoric and the public relations kind of push, to really benefit Epic at the end of the day. Or as I said in one tweet that I did happen to make about Tim Sweeney's little outburst this afternoon, it's free legal advice, kids. And you know I put a disclaimer on these videos where I say I don't give legal advice. You could take this one. Don't litigate your case on Twitter. This has been Virtual Legality again for today. If you enjoyed this, please like, subscribe, share, tell folks that we are out there. We will try to get chapters into this video. I know it ran a little bit long, but I thought this was important to really dive into as the counter position to what we had been talking about on the Epic side of things. We've also talked about other things than Epic and Apple and Google. We've talked about control and whether 505 can actually go and say, no, you don't get an upgrade. Previous buyers of that game, Bloodlines 2, firing its creative leads and all sorts of other good stuff. We like to talk about business and law through the prism of pop culture and the things that you love. If you saw this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.